1: Park.
2: We hear about those who know Christ, they've walked with the Lord, they've shown evidence in their life, but something happens inside their brains, they give up hope, they're going through difficult times, they take their lives, they commit suicide. Someone says, could they have been saved? Could they be saved and take their lives? Sure. Was it right that they took their lives? No, it was murder. Were they saved? They accepted Christ, they were saved. But if you're shaky on that, if you don't understand that, then you really haven't settled the issue in your own heart about grace. You're still thinking about works.
1: It is essential that we get the horse in front of the cart, so to speak, when it comes to grace and works. It's a relationship that has tripped up people almost from the beginning of time. Today on Verse by Verse, pastor teacher Steve Kreloff will continue teaching from Philippians chapter 3, and we will consider how legalism is not only incompatible with grace, but it robs us of joy. Pastor Steve has been the teaching pastor since 1981 at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. His expository or verse-by-verse messages come to your radio through the work of verse-by-verse ministries. Way back in the first century, the church settled the question of whether or not circumcision was necessary for salvation. So that is seldom an issue in the church today. But there is another issue that has cropped up, even though the Bible is quite clear on the subject. Here is Pastor Steve to tell us more. The real issue that you
2: and I face today is is not so much circumcision. I, I don't know people who run around saying you've got to be circumcised. But I know people who run around and say, hey, it's great that you believe in Jesus, but you better be baptized. Listen, there are churches in our area that teach that. I have seen tracks on that. I have seen actually advertisements in newspapers on that. You see, the real question is this. Are we saved by grace alone or by grace plus religious works? That's the real issue. That's that's what what is at stake here. Is faith part of it or all of it? Do you enter in a relationship with Jesus Christ, with God the Father through Christ, by grace, which means God's undeserved favor through faith, in in christ and the shedding of his blood on our behalf or is that only part of the story do you have to add to it baptism church attendance religious service kind deeds that's what's at stake here let me let me even stretch it a little bit further the principle of this sometimes people who ought to know better are still shaky on this area of grace and i'll give you some examples if you've ever wondered in your mind or had somebody ask you this, could a murderer accept Christ a few minutes before execution and go to heaven? Of course. That's right. And if some, but but wait a minute, but they've murdered, then you don't understand grace. You don't understand grace. Grace is God's undeserved favor. Once you're saved, once you've accepted Christ, you're not going to go on murdering. But a murderer can accept Christ. Let me give another illustration of this. We hear about those who know Christ. They've walked with the Lord. They've shown evidence in their life, but something happens inside their brains. They give up hope. They're going through difficult times. They take their lives. They commit suicide. Someone says, could they have been saved? Could they be saved and take their lives? Sure. Was it right that they took their lives? No, it was murder. Were they saved? They accepted Christ. They were saved. But if you're shaky on that, if you don't understand that, then you really haven't settled the issue in your own heart about grace. You're still thinking about works. Now, where do works fit in? Let me say before going into this passage, works are the results of faith. Works and faith go together as James. That's the whole point of the book of James. James is saying this. If you've got the root, then we're going to see some fruit. Okay, that's what James is saying. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. That's salvation. But, Je- but Ephesians two ten says that you were created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That is to say that if you're really saved, it will indicate itself by your good works. But your good works could never get you to heaven. They're just the proof that you're going there. So I just want you to understand that. But when we're talking about about salvation, when we're talking about trusting Christ, the only work that enters into that is the work of Jesus Christ. He died for us. He rose for us. If I believe that and I'm trusting and that's what I mean by belief, if I'm trusting him and him alone for salvation, the Bible says I am eternally saved. So it's this issue that Paul is addressing in Philippians 3 because these legalism teachers had come to Philippi and were telling the believers that salvation depends on their efforts as well as faith in Christ. And what what we're really dealing with here, it, it is an attack on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Let me give another. I'm I'm going to expand this again because I want you to see how relevant it is. Someone comes to you and says, Aha, you have been saved. That's wonderful. You trusted Christ. Yes, I believed on Christ. But you know, to keep yourself saved, you better do some things. To keep yourself... We call that the issue of eternal security. And believe me, there are plenty of people who don't believe that. Someone asked me recently, Do you think that's an important issue? I said, I think that's a critical issue. If I'm saved by grace, I am kept by grace. I can't be saved by grace and keep myself in the faith by my own works. Then I'm depending on myself for salvation. It goes right back to legalism. So that's that's the issue so in very strong language the apostle paul urges the philippians and us by way of of application to resist legalism why because if you don't you're going to lose your joy will you lose your salvation no never but you will lose your joy you'll lose your joy if you get into thinking that there's something there's some effort that you have to do you'll never have joy people who think they've lost their salvation once a week and have to walk an aisle and come to an altar and get saved all again never have joy never have joy. they can never rest in christ never never they they're always striving over have i done enough if if salvation is by my effort then the question is how much of my effort do i have to put in i'll never know i would never know and so joy is connected with this, and I want you to look at uh, at three truths related to the issue of joy and legalism. We're looking at joy versus legalism. Joy is maintained by knowing s- some truths about legalism, and we're going to look at three truths this morning. First of all, we're going to look at the concern over legalism. Joy is maintained when you understand the concern that Paul had, or the importance. This is not a light issue. This is a heavy issue. It's not that difficult to understand but it's got to be taught. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Now, why does Paul write finally? You know, I read that. Finally, he's got chapter 3 and chapter 4 to go. In fact, someone said there's over 40% of the letter that's to come. In fact, when you look at chapter 4, verse 8, he says again, Finally, brethren, that's when he's bringing things to a close. Paul is using this term, finally, in the sense of in addition or furthermore. It doesn't mean I'm about to close the letter. He's just introducing a new section. You need to see this. He is finished with chapter 2. And he's now moving on to another section, which we label chapter 3. And this new section is about rejoicing even though the legalists are out to steal your joy. He goes on to say to write the same thing again, the same things rather again, is no trouble to me. Isn't that interesting? He says no trouble to me. Apparently, Paul had already written about this. Now, if you've been following with us all through this letter, you might wonder, as I did, where? I haven't seen it very clearly. I don't know where Paul has has written this until I began to look into the matter. And I want want you to see back in chapter one, verse twenty seven. And twenty-eight. I want to suggest that Paul was speaking about these legalists in in this uh, in these two verses. Perhaps there are others included, but I think primarily the legalists were on his mind. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel in no way alarmed by your opponents and i think the judaizers the legalists are the opponents they're the opponents who came and said you can't just believe this you've got to do something salvation isn't just by faith that's too simple you've got to do something and I think that when Paul writes, I, and back in chapter 3, verse 1, to write the same things again, it's no trouble for me, you've got to look back and say, well, apparently he's written about them. And so he wrote back in chapter 1 concerning them, and he says, I'm writing about them again. Obviously, he's elaborating, but I'm writing about them again. And I think it tells us something, something very important, a principle here, that repetition is an important part in our learning process. Reiteration and repetition. We learn by repetition.
1: It has been said that when speaking publicly, we should tell the people what we plan to tell them, then tell them, and tell them what we told them. Repetition is a great teaching tool. Let's pause for a moment to welcome those who just tuned in to us. We are glad to have you here with us for Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, is guiding us through the third chapter of Philippians. Here is Pastor Steve with the rest of today's lesson. Do you know
2: that if you are a student of the Bible uh, and you go through the books of the Old Testament, the books of the New Testament, once you master a few books, you're going to find that Bible writers repeated themselves a lot. They didn't say it in the same words and the emphasis of a certain book is different than the emphasis of another book. However, most of the things they've said you've read before but that's God's word because God knows that we learn by repetition now occasionally we come across something that's new and we haven't seen it before but you look at Isaiah you look at Jeremiah and yes there are some things in there that they, others didn't say but you, you look at the prophets and they're basically saying the same thing judgment is coming a kingdom is coming a messiah is coming the nations are going to be judged there's going to be a messianic kingdom that's, that's about it I mean, obviously, I don't want to make it so simplistic, but they repeat themselves. New Testament letters. I mean, when Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, he says it in many different ways. Walk in the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, grieve not the Holy Spirit. He's basically saying the same thing. And he did that for an important reason, because we learn by repetition. I think in our day and age, we're too concerned about being novel. We don't want to repeat ourselves. We want to have something that nobody has said and uh, we want to say something in a fresh way, and I, and I think that's to a degree that's good to say it in a fresh way, but uh, there comes a point where you just have to say what the Bible says and say it over and over again because if God repeats it it repeats it for emphasis so that we might learn it, but also for emphasis because it is important and this is very important he he wrote about the legalists and now he's writing more about them because he wants us to get it repetition is very important he's so concerned why look at the end of verse 1 he says it's no trouble to me and it is a safeguard for you in other words he's saying it's no trouble for me because it's for your safety it's no problem for me to repeat myself he's saying I'm saying it for your benefit because this is to protect you he has a great concern legalism is not a matter to be taken lightly Paul has witnessed an entire church divided by legalism do you realize that let's look at Galatians just uh, just two books back from Philippians Galatians chapter 1 verses 6 through 9 and then Galatians 3 The whole letter of Galatians is dealing with this this issue of legalism now Philippians is not the whole letter isn't dealing with this just basically chapter 3 but Galatians it's really the same problem it's a big problem and Paul had seen and probably it's not just one church probably it's the whole region of Galatia which had a number of churches so Paul has really struggled in his own heart over this Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. He calls legalism a different gospel. He calls it desertion of Christ, which is really not another. He says, for there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. He's saying there's really no other gospel. I'm just, you know, saying, using human terms. But even though we, meaning apostles or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Let him be anathema. Let him be accursed. In essence, what he's saying, let him go to hell because it 's that important, as we 've said before, so say uh, again, so I say now again, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to that which you have received, let him be accursed, strong language, chapter three of Galatians chapter three verses one through three, you foolish Galatians, by the way he doesn 't have a commendation for them; he just kind of gets right into it. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. He's really calling the the legalists magicians, in a sense. Who's come in and bewitched you? Who set a spell over you? This is the only thing. He says, I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or uh, or by hearing with faith? In other words, did you enter into a relationship with Christ by doing something that the law said? Or was it by faith in Christ? Well, obviously, it was by faith in Christ. Are you so foolish having begun by the spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? There was a different twist here in 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 the sense that some of the legalists said, you know, it's it's great You're saved by grace through faith. Yeah, but um, if you want to be holy, you got to keep the law Paul said no no the law never made one holy The law never saved one the law never made one holy and you are bewitched now the issue that's at stake is the gospel and also the person and work of jesus christ that's why it's so important that's why paul has a concern this is not like a prophetic issue where someone might hold to one thing a little different than another this is the heart of the gospel if christ's death is not sufficient to save you then you are doomed to a life of striving to live by the law keeping a kosher home no work on saturday listen i saw my grandparents do that it is bondage bondage can't do this can't do that can't have to hire somebody to come in and do this on sabbath and it's bondage it's externals it's what it is can i wear this can i dress like this can i look like this can i do this activity can i do it? it's bondage you see, if you're doomed to keep yourself saved in your mind, then you have no joy, as I said before. No joy in that. It's bondage. Am I saved? Did I lose it? What do I have to, uh, uh, to do today to keep it? Have I done enough? Should I walk an aisle to get saved again on, on Sunday? Paul says in Galatians 5, 1 through 3, you don't need to turn there. He says it is bondage, bondage. You see, the great concern that Paul has is not just for the purity of the gospel, though that's really critical. He's also concerned about the welfare of, of those that he loves. And that's why this has to be proclaimed, because your welfare is at stake. You lose this perspective and you lose joy. You, in fact, you lose this perspective, you lose all effectiveness in the Christian life. You'll be too consumed with trying to keep your salvation, wondering whether you're in or out on any given day. You'll lose all motivation for Christian living. Motivation for Christian living is out of gratitude and love, uh, not out of obligation that I've got to keep myself saved. Now, to really understand the battle that, that was going on, Paul tells us something about these teachers of legalism, and you need to understand this. This is strong language, very strong language. He's going to speak of the character of legalists, and you've got to apply it to those today who would come to you and to me and say, you've got to do something in addition to believing. Strong language. Why does he use this strong language concerning the character of legalists? If you saw your your child being attacked by someone, you you'd use pretty strong language. Paul sees his children being attacked. So we've looked at uh, you maintain joy by understanding first of all concern over legalism that it is a matter to be concerned about. Secondly, the character of legalists. If you understand who they are and what they stand for, uh, you'll move away from them and you'll be careful. Let's look at verse 2. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. Three times Paul warns them to beware, which means continually be on the lookout for. And I, and I don't think it's stretching it to say, Paul meant, and get away from them. Don't debate false teachers. Don't invite them into your home for a little cup of coffee and a snack and you tell me what you believe and I'll tell you what my belief. First and Second Timothy are very clear on that. Don't. You, you don't open yourself up to error. Paul then identifies those who, are, we are, who we are to beware of by a threefold description of their character. Number one, he calls them dogs. He says, "'Beware the dogs.'" When we read this, I don't think it hits us like it hit the Philippians or anybody in the ancient world. When we think of a dog, we tend to think of that cute little animal that we have as, uh, in our home. and We've adopted this little pet, and that's our puppy. But uh, in the Middle East, people didn't think that way. They didn't go to a pet store and spend a lot of money to get a dog. They didn't do that. In Bible times dogs were not looked upon favor favorably Four, there are forty references to dogs in the Bible and not one of them is favorable and I'll tell you why because the imagery of dogs to someone in the Middle East at the time of uh, in the first century were those wild dogs who ran in packs they didn't have homes they didn't have human owners they were they roamed the streets they were hunting amidst the garbage dumps they snapped at people and other animals who came by they were vicious They were wild animals. They were noted for noise. They were scavengers. They were savage. They devoured dead bodies. Remember the prophecy against Jezebel, Ahab's wife? The dogs will will eat you and they will lick your blood. I mean, that's a pretty gruesome picture. Peter says in 2 Peter 2.22 that uh, as, as a dog returns to its vomit... That's a, that's a disgusting picture, and I you know I don't want to ruin your appetite for lunch, but uh, that's that's pretty pretty gross. So understand when he says beware of the dogs, he is not thinking of that precious little puppy. He's thinking of creatures, creatures, mangy creatures. Okay, now because a dog was considered filthy, a savage, scavage type of animal, ancient people called someone a dog as an attack on their character. So they were using it in a figurative sense. When Paul says, "Beware of the dogs," he he doesn't mean if you see someone walking on the street barking at you, run away. He's not not thinking of a literal dog here. He's thinking of someone who uh, who is called a dog, a, a person, a false teacher who's lower than low. Because the dog stood for everything that was shamelessly unclean. It was a term of reproach. Historically, historically, Jews often referred to Gentiles as dogs, and that wasn't. A compliment. Uh, the, the Jewish male every morning prayed a prayer like this. I thank thee, O God, that thou hast not made me a Gentile dog or a woman. Okay? That was their attitude. The rabbis had a saying, the nations of the world, meaning the Gentile nations, are like dogs. Now that's that's what we call religious pride. That is a horrible, prejudiced proud attitude and the thing that Paul does understand the legal uh, legalists were Jewish people that's why they're called Judaizers they came from Judah probably most likely from Jerusalem and they were Jewish people what Paul is doing is turning the tables on them and what he's saying in essence is you who have historically referred to Gentiles as dogs are dogs yourself that's what he's saying that would really hit them
1: You are dogs. Paul really did not pull any punches when it came to people who taught a different gospel than the one God had given. That is a pretty grim conclusion for our lesson today, but please come back next time because Pastor Steve will explain how recognizing our own bankrupt nature, our complete inability to bring about our own salvation, will lead us to the joy we all look for in life, but so few of us find. Pastor Teacher Steve Kweloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida is our instructor for Verse by Verse. It's a daily Bible class of the air. Pastor Steve has been serving for over 27 years at Lakeside. These radio adaptations of his messages are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. We are a faith ministry supported by the prayers and gifts of listeners like you who are first faithful to their own churches. As we talked about earlier, repetition is a great teaching tool. If you would like to listen again to today's class, it is available for download at versebyverseradio.org or you can listen online. We also have links if you would like to sign up for our free podcasting service or our complimentary newsletter. The web address again is versebyverseradio.org. Perhaps you would like to hear the entire message from which today's lesson was taken. You can order a CD or cassette by calling us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will call you back during regular office hours. Our number again is 727-441-1714. Pastor Steve said that there are three characteristics of false teachers— he dealt with one of them today. When we return, he will finish developing that thought, and we can see the tremendous contrast between legalists and those who simply trust in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you'll join us next time on Verse by Verse.
0: We're here to give you strength between.